so we wanted to offer a bit of a talk tonight. with the next guideline which is the guideline relax accept it it sounds so simple doesn't it you know it's sort of like when you come on a meditation retreat and that person in the uh, store on the airplane says where are you going and they say oh that sounds so wonderful (laughs) you know must be so peaceful. <laughs> I wish I could do that. And, you know, we know just how challenging it is that we sit and really what we notice, what starts to arise is all that stickiness, all that, you know, love, awakening. <laughs> You know, and and, uh, and it's like, wait a minute. So, so the guideline relax is really guiding us. Well, how do we how do we be with this? How do we do this? One of the things that can come up when we notice all that stickiness um, is sort of like the people on the airplane, you know, some sense that there's something wrong. Amo was referring to this earlier today that if we, if really we were practicing right, and certainly if we were in the world right, if we were uh, in relationship correctly, we really wouldn't be having all this stickiness we wouldn't be having these problems. So it just leaves two possibilities. There's either something wrong with us or there's something wrong with those other people. But there's clearly something wrong. It's how the mind wants to kind of frame it. Uh, One of uh, a quote I came across recently that I find amusing, a Zen master said, uh, being born already a mistake. (laughs) And what he's referring to is this humanness, this dukkha, this, you know, I was just struck, you know, where we sing, you know, you know, birth is, you know, dukkha, you know, all this impermanence, all this non-self, and we sort of chant it, and it sounds okay, you know. But when we actually discover it in our own experience, it doesn't really feel okay at all. And we start to kind of push against it and resist it and and make something wrong. And so relax invites us to work with this um, opening to these to these challenges, to these difficulties. The Buddha teaches about the difficulties in our lives in lots of different ways. He talks about these places uh, uh, in our minds that. Uh, are, offer obscurations. 
fetters in some cases they're called, uh, where in all sorts of different ways, we'll work with some of them a little later in the week, but all sorts of different ways that that incredible awakening, that, you know, that uh, awakened love that we all touched into today is obscured. And we can't find it anymore. We can't find a way of being in this life or in this relationship uh, with ease or with that kind of spaciousness. It's obscured. It's covered over. Um, The Buddha teaches that in every human life there are what are called the eight worldly dharmas or the eight worldly winds. And I know many of you know them. He says, in every human life, it's just ordinary, it's just normal that there's pleasure and pain. It's just ordinary, it's just human that there's gain and there's loss. And gain and loss again, and gain and loss again. In every human life, there's praise and there's blame. Really? In every human life, there's fame and there's uh, what's called disrepute, sort of not fame, (laughs) being either not ignored or actually reviled. And that these are qualities of every human life, every every human life, just part of this dukkha, part of the dukkha that we we chant about. Um, And it doesn't mean there's something wrong. Being born, already a mistake. You know, we enter into this human form. Ajahn Sumedho says, uh, uh, what does he say? He says, having a human body is a constant source of annoyance. (laughs) And having a human body in relationship is a constant source of annoyance. Where all of these uh, worldly dharmas come up and all of these uh, difficulties come up. All this stickiness comes up. And so our path, our practice, really, is finding how do we be with this. This awakened, spacious awareness is available to us. How do I rest in that? And so we cultivate over time the capacity to, if you will, uh, rest in that that quality of, of awakeness and awareness, independent of circumstance, independent of circumstance. But our biology kind of doesn't really get that sometimes. This human biology is actually wired to fight the difficult, to resist the difficult. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that over uh, eons of evolution, in order to survive these little animal beings that we are, you know, have evolved such that the um, little animals, the little antelopes and the little lizards and the little squirrels and all of that, that were quick to avoid pain were the ones that survived. So those little monkeys that were quick to avoid pain and that learned good strategies for doing that became our ancestors. And the others were munching berries while they got eaten by lions. You know, they're just like, oh, everything's fine, no problem. You know, 
So to be really tuned into the avoidance of pain is just part of our biology. Even amoebas do that. You take a little pin and you poke it into an amoeba and it goes... So the stickiness is that kind of... kind of thing that, that we can notice in our biology and our psychology that when these difficulties come up, that we are... But the thing that's kind of unique about humans is that not only do we go and our nervous system recoils or we uh, and we run away or we kind of beat up whatever the, the problem is. Thank you. That was good self-care. But we make... Um, stories about it. We make theories about it. And again, that's part of our human, our humanness. Um, we, you know, to be a human being, what do we have? We have a hundred billion neurons in our brain. Each neuron has 10,000 synapses. <laughs> it's the most complex thing in the universe. You know. So our brains are kind of processing all this data constantly. And so our human brains have to figure out some way of organizing it. Because if we can't organize it, um, the theory is that one of the sources of psychosis is an inability to efficiently organize this kind of volume of data in some kind of uh, coherent way. Uh, Not only a coherent way, but a coherent way that we kind of all agree to, you know. So it's sort of like a consensual, coherent way that you know human beings sort of agree that this is how the world is. So we have these these functions in our brain that really try to help kind of stop the impermanence. Because if there's just constant change and there's a hundred billion neurons firing and ten thousand synapses at each of them, and there's just this constant change and everything's just constantly changing, in evolution, it it just was really too complicated. And so we've evolved as a species to um, be able to, if you will, organize our, our data in a way that actually um, helps us navigate a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more efficiently. It has some real limitations, which we discover. And so we learn how to name things, you know, glasses. You know, would you get my glasses for me? And you don't even have to kind of look. You don't have to look at all, all very carefully. It's like, okay, let's see. Glasses, 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 glasses. Oh, glasses. No, okay, great. And so you don't even, you know, say, well, what color are they? Or what shape are they? Well, I don't know. They're glasses. So we learn how to kind of label things um, in order to kind of just have a little bit more efficiency about that information. And indeed, we learn how to tell stories in much the same way. Um, it's a way we kind of help it, the narrative, if you will, of the story is a way that helps us navigate and process our information and learn from it and store it in our memory. That those stories are really essential for the good development of our, of our mature psychology, of our mature being. We have to be able to do that or we'll, get, we'll be so disorganized we won't be able to function in the world. So narratives and stories are really valuable, and they help us process some of the pain. They help us process some of the difficulty. 
So if I'm two years old or four years old and, you know, a, a, a dog barks at me, you know, uh, mommy will take me home and say, wow, that was a scary dog, wasn't it? I say, yeah, it was a scary dog. And you were kind of scared, weren't you? You were, you know, you didn't like that very much, did you? No, we didn't like that very much at all. You know, so that there's this little narrative that really helps us kind of organize. It's like, okay, right. My experience was this. It's okay to have this experience. This is what it's called in language. Mommy thinks it's okay, and she's going to help me navigate it. So that, she says, would you like to sit on my lap a little longer? Yes, I'd like to sit on your lap. You know, so that there's this whole process of storytelling and naming of experience that is essential to our healthy development. It's a good thing. And it's said that for those of us who have secure attachments as children, um, our parents are able to do that about 50% of the time. No, yeah, about 50% of the time. No, I'm sorry, about 30% of the time. Hmm. That's not bad, huh? Parent, you only have to do that 30% of the time. The other 30% of the time is parents not tuning in at all, and the other 30% is parents repairing the fact that they haven't tuned in. Yeah. So that's actually not too high a bar. We can do that. You know. But, you know, this is another whole talk, but there obviously there are circumstances where our parents don't do that very well. And so we actually don't learn to navigate some of those difficult circumstances very well. So in addition to just the ordinary pains of life, you know, um, that are navigated well with our stories, we actually have a lot of unnarrated pains that don't get navigated. And those get stored in our nervous system um, as sort of, if you will, it's like having um, a big meal and it's not digested well. So they kind of get, they kind of clog my metaphor is really failing, but bear with me here. They kind of clog our system because they're sort of like undigested food, these experiences that we have. And we kind of grow in a way, we grow physically, we grow um, um, psychologically, um, we grow relationally. And in many cases, what we do is we kind of torque ourselves around them. So if I didn't navigate that experience with the doggy really well as a child, whenever I see a doggy, now I call it a dog, I say to my partner, I don't like dogs very much, let's go the other, you know. We, we kind of torque ourselves so that we're kind of moving around and moving away from these painful experiences. And the only problem with that, their number one is it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, that! In that, um, we can't we we can't always do it. We can't always succeed at doing it. And the other is that the more we are able to do that with this experience, and then there's the experience with you know um, spilled milk in school, and then there's ex- that sexual experience that I had when I was 16, and then there's that time that my father lost it and you know, screamed at me when I was four. And, you know, by the time we accumulate all these experiences, we've torqued ourselves in so many different ways that there's incredible stress in our system trying to avoid the experience 
of these of, of pain. So that the then what we do with our stories, then stories tend to take on a different uh, function, and then they're not so useful because now I'm gonna, <laughs> oh I come up with these crazy metaphors. Um, then it's sort of like a car that you're starting to start. But, you know, in the wintertime, you Minnesota people know this one. In the wintertime, you go, rrr, rrr. the story is sort of the, the, the nervous system's attempt to, 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 to become coherent about what happened. And so what we end up doing is we tell the story over and 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 over again. So much so that it becomes what's true. And sometimes we even forget that it's a story. You know, we, we, we just know so much that it's true that dogs are bad that we, we can't even imagine how somebody could like, you know, to have a, a pet for a, or a dog for a pet. You know, it's one thing if it's a dog, it's another thing if it's a man or if it's a, you know, very, you know, I mean, there are just all these, all these different possibilities. So when we enter into relationship, now a relationship is very hard to hide out in. And the more intimate it is, the more, you know, the more close it is, the more closely it touches some of these places, or, you know, that we're, we've sort of tried to torque ourselves around to avoid the pain. And it touches into these places and it can touch into them in infinite numbers of ways it can touch into them by a behavior but it can touch by a look or by a smell or by a uh, a word or by a anything I'm going to invite you to do a little practice for breakfast tomorrow morning which will maybe help you see how that works a little bit as you're, you know, you're eating your granola or whatever it is you're eating, um, and you're and you're listening, you know, to all the noise in the background, you know, all the sounds, and it's sort of there. What you might discover, if you sort of just tune in and open your awareness wide, is that every once in a while you'll hear something like your mother. My business, you know, it, that you'll hear little little words or phrases, and watch what the mind does with those. Because I think what you'll see is that as you hear um, just some of those phrases, they'll touch into some of these stored stories. And what will happen is that it's like touching, you know, those little flowers that you touch and the seeds you know, pop all over the place. It'll touch one of these stored stories and the seeds will just pop up and it'll be like a whole little movie will, will pop up. You know, little boy the other morning said, Mommy, where are you? And I could just watch this whole little movie just popped right up. You know, so the storage, our storage system is just, you know, it, it's just ready to kind of pop open uh, at any moment. So, free, you know, and, and in our in our relationships, it's just constantly popping open. So these stored difficulties that we've you know kind of packaged away, 
just keep popping open. Um, and so then th- there's just all this pain in our relationship. And now we have to figure out, well, hmm, where's this coming from? I know, I know, I know. It's because you didn't call me when you said you were going to. That's why. So that we start then to imagine that the reason for the difficulty is out there. And that if I'm having some pain, there's something wrong. And so now we're really in a pickle. Because now we're sort of trying to solve the problem out there by either fixing, you you heard me say my favorite uh, uh, hobby, uh, fixing, is to fix my husband. By fixing somehow, (laughs) you know, that person out there. But we all have one, don't we? We all have a favorite. You know, my mother where we kind of sit and we say, you know, if you just did this, your life would really be a lot better at children. You know? You know? That we, you know, we, 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 we try to fix our pain out there, or alternately we try to fix it internally by making ourselves bad. You know? That if I'm experiencing pain in this relationship, Somebody somewhere must be doing something wrong. So these sticky places, uh, these places, actually, Ama guided us, it was so wonderful this morning, that guided meditation. Ama guided us this morning in working with them so beautifully because our challenge is to see them in awareness to let the awareness know them, really in much the same way, where, you know, that, that awakened love, where we cultivate the capacity to have awareness that is, is what is the book title, you know, A Heart as Wide as the World. I love that, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, that we cultivate a mind and a heart as wide as the world, which is what you touched into, right, with the awakened love practice. A heart and mind as wide as the world where we can see the difficulties, know them, really know them intimately, but they're not creating the second layer of uh, kind of um, uh, trying to fix it in a way that is just ultimately not possible. It's what the Buddha uh, called the second arrow that were pierced by the first arrow. It hurts. Life hurts. You know, we, 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 we chant this, you know, so, you know, you know, what is it? The body is impermanent. The body is impermanent. Yeah, the body is impermanent, you know. Feeling is impermanent. Pleasure, pain, okay. But the body is impermanent. You mean when my tooth breaks, which it did the other day. That's just how it is. That's not because I did something wrong. Ow. Yeah. 
body's impermanent. Feeling is impermanent. You mean I can feel pleasure pleasure at this moment and then the next moment I, I don't anymore? Or in relationship, you mean I, I have a relationship and then I don't anymore? You know, or the nature of the relationship changes? You know, I have this beautiful little four-year-old who becomes an interesting 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Really? It's nobody's fault? Things change? People, people die? My body ages? So, the pain of that is what we learn to cherish as just this being human. The reaction to it is what is optional. We cultivate the ability to be with these difficulties and these relational difficulties knowing them in love. So that when we talk about love, we're not talking about some blissful state where just everything is perfect. You know that place where we all, I'll say we all, maybe we all, have this fantasy that someplace out there, somewhere, there is a mother and a father and a partner who's better than the one I have. You know, that fantasy that there's, you know, it's just somebody somewhere isn't trying hard enough. So that, but that's that's not that's not what awakened love is. Awakened love is this much different and larger capacity. So as we relax, we actually see our experience clearly. We know it deeply. The invitation to release the story most of the time is an invitation to uh, let go of something that isn't useful. Because the release from suffering is not going to happen through story. That's just the mind's effort to try to fix things. The release will happen in that pain simply being known in love. When I say most of the time, there are some exceptions to that in that if there is a traumatic experience that hasn't been um, named, you know, that, that hasn't been narrated, it's of value for it to be narrated with a kind awareness, often with someone else. And that's one of the values of psychotherapy. But much of the time, it's already been narrated, and we can hear ourselves, you know, sort of telling the same story for the 4,612th time. And so those are the places where we, the invitation is release that story, come into the body. Ultimately, the, the practice is the same, to come into the body, ultimately. But sometimes we have to tell the story first come into the body. What's the experience in the body? Can we relax around that and let that be okay? So, uh, so let's practice for a little bit. <laughs> 